0: So we are studying once again the Sermon on the Mount and uh, the way this is sometimes presented some people might think that this was just a one-time sermon that Jesus gave. I don't think that was the case at all. I think the elements of what we are reading here was in all his teachings that he went to everywhere. Um, Realize that the audience in which he is probably talking to... Is strictly or for the most part a Jewish audience if we know anything about the book of Matthew Matthew was an apostle he was a student of Jesus participated uh, in Jesus's uh, ministry that he had there and surely for the book of Matthew what he is trying to do since it is principally written to a Jewish audience (coughs) is to get them to see that Jesus is the prophesied Messiah that he is also the king that was prophesied and then where he lays out the necessary elements for the kingdom of heaven because that's what he's trying to get the people to see the spirit that we talked about even here at, at the beginning blessed are the poor in spirit I would venture to say that the audience that he was talking to at that time was extremely poor in the spirit The religious leadership of that time was corrupt and they were misleading the people and believing how to be righteous you need to do this this and this and have all these rules and regulations for the folks to follow the Holy Spirit has not yet come these are not Christians that he's in the throes of doing his teaching so what he's doing though is laying a foundation a framework that eventually at some point maybe following his death Oh, I remember hearing that when I heard him teaching this here or there or wherever they may have been. So it's kind of important for us to realize that this is early on in Christ's ministry that He's doing this teaching, and but but it is fundamental and it is foundational. We looked on Sunday at the first Beatitude of "Blessed are the poor in the spirit," for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And then we looked at, blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. But we didn't finish with that one, so I want to pick up uh, with that idea. The mourning there is one that we should be mourning for over sin. And uh, surely one who has become a Christian today should despise sin, and, and, and we need to see sin as God sees it is that easy to do no it's not it's not and it's even harder for a a person that's a young Christian um, because they haven't learned much about this and they haven't come to an ability to be able to make discernment what do I mean by discernment what is discernment Judgment. judgment about
1: about which way is right, which way is wrong. There you go.
0: Judgment of what's right and what's wrong. And where's the rule book? But right here. So yeah, that is, that is necessary to have a discernment to be able to do that. And and once they see sin, then it needs to be treated the way that God wants us you know, to treat it. It's one thing to be spiritually poor and acknowledge that, it is another though to grieve and mourn over it, over sin, and do nothing about it. And there are people that hear the gospel message, and they may be moved by it, but they don't make the move to do something about the state that they see that that they are in. And that is that's a sad thing. Um, is the Christian life? Always one of joy and laughter? No, it's not. <laughs> we should be sad and we should weep over uh, our own sins, but we also need to be sad and weep over the evil that we see uh, in the world. But turn over to Luke chapter 18. You know, one of the other things that you see in studying um, the Beatitudes is that sometimes Jesus will take the very principle that he may present here or the characteristic that he wants his disciples to have and he'll put it in some other form and one of the forms that he puts puts it in is in the form of a parable look at uh, luke chapter 18 and we'll read verses 9 through 14. he also told this parable to some who Trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. Two men went up into the temple to pray one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a day. I fast twice a week, I mean. I give tithes for all that I get. But the tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you this, man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. You see the beatitudes present in just that parable, yeah. And what do we see the text collector doing? He's mourning. Why is he mourning? Because of a his sinful state. Mm-hmm. Over his guilt. Over his guilt, driven by the fact that he knew he was sinful. Now to contrast that with the Pharisee. You see what what kind of Individual was he arrogant, arrogant, very much boasting, elevated himself, saw others, you know, beneath him. Um, so, yeah, you could see Jesus taking the very principle that he's given in that these beatitudes and, and presenting them in this parable. So, I challenge you as you read parables in the future, see if you can pick them apart and see where sometimes these. Characteristics in the, the attitudes fit.
2: In this parable, the Pharisee verse 12, what he had to list off of his accomplishments were physical in nature. Yes. You know, they really weren't spiritual. They weren't spiritual nature. at all. And that's, you see in the world quite often, people feel justified in themselves because. Of the physical things they need, but they have nothing spiritual to offer. And to tie that in with
0: what I said at the beginning, this audience is definitely a spiritual poor group that he's talking to. And part of it is because the Pharisees, the leaders, even those that were running the synagogues, had the same kind of mindset. This is what was going on at this time. So they were missing, they were missing the boat. You know, Jesus wept over the sins of others. At one time when I remember him, he left the city of what? And he wept. Which city did he leave that
2: he wept over? He left Jerusalem.
0: Once he left Jerusalem. Yeah. Wept over it because it, the state in which it was,
2: what it had become. He said if he, if he was a chicken, a he, uh, hen, would bring him under their, his wings yeah. and shelter him, but they wouldn't let him. Yeah. So
0: we have our own sins to weep over as well. Um, and uh, they've never caused us any grief, have they? <laughs> have you got First Corinthians 5 in your notes? Uh, I don't. Yes, I do. Verse 2? <laughs> yeah, okay. I do. In fact, that, that's my next point. That is point. specific. Okay. So the question I have is, was Paul wrong to groan? When he said, Wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from death? So, before we get to that one, look at Romans chapter 7. Don, if you would read that. Romans chapter 7, verses 24 and 25.
3: Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from the body of this death? Thanks be to God through Christ Jesus, our Lord. So then on the one hand, I myself, with my mind, am serving the law of God, but with the other, with my flesh, the law of sin.
0: I don't know more to say. I mean, here's the Apostle Paul, you know, making this kind of proclamation. Now read 1 Corinthians 5. 2.
3: Talking about the uh, individual that was found with... with keeping his father's wife. (coughs) Well, if I can get there.
1: (laughs) I had it in the There it is right there. Okay.
3: Talking to the congregation there, you have become arrogant and have not mourned instead. In other words, their disposition is one of going along with it and feeling proud of it rather than mourning instead. So that the one who had done this deed would be removed from your midst.
0: Yeah. Going back to verse 1, what that was all about was the fact that Paul had heard of the report that there was some sexual immorality among them. One of a kind that he says not even tolerated among pagans. And, but what was he telling the, that church to do in Corinth over that situation? Mm-hmm. Put him hmm? away. Mourn, 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 and put, him mourn away. and put him away. But the idea that churches need to be aware of this kind of stuff as well, and individually and collectively, we need to mourn uh, for sin. Um, let's turn to the next beatitude, which is the beatitude that regards peace. Question five of our study said, what's your initial reaction to uh, the gentleness that Jesus speaks of in this sermon? Meekness and gentleness, of course, are complementary to one another there. What's your reaction to that?
1: Most people think of meekness as weakness, but that's not true. I mean, that's what most
0: think. I don't think that's true. Yeah, everybody get that idea because that's how a lot of people think of meekness to be meek is to be weak
3: I think it's a hard goal to
0: reach Ooh. I would I would say you are right there it is a hard thing to achieve to 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 comprehend and to put into to practice I'm going to look at um, Paul said this uh, to the Corinthians church in 2nd Corinthians chapter 10, verse 1. He says, I, Paul, myself entreat you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. I, who am humble when face to face with you, but I'm bold toward you when I am away. This idea that he was trying to mirror the meekness and the humbleness and the gentleness that Jesus had when he was with and among fellow believers in trying to get people to, to do the things, but he said, but when I'm away from you, <laughs> I'm bold. And I think that we can see that boldness in the letters that, that he writes. The word translated Greek was used by the Greeks to describe a horse uh, that had been broken and it refers to a uh, power under control. Mm-hmm which is kind of unique because when we think about a horse as power under control when you're riding it, um, that came as a result of making the horse more meek than he was prior. You, do you have a horse? No, my no, neighbors he, do that. <laughs> I know you got a lot of animals, I did. <laughs> no, I don't um, have a horse. Anybody ever own a horse? Was it pretty meek when you, when you got it, or was it one that had to somewhat be broken? <laughs>
1: it had to
3: be broken. Okay. It bit me in a very tender spot. I wound up getting a fist in its jaw.
2: <laughs>
0: <laughs> I want you to note, though, that this idea of meekness comes between those who would mourn over sin and those who hunger and thirst for righteousness." And I think that sequence of where that bad the attitude is has some importance. And uh, this meekness that is spoken here denotes a humble and a gentle attitude to me? No. Each other. To others. I mean, that's what it boils down to. And that can come, you can improve that if you get a true estimate of me, of who you are, okay? Meekness is essentially a true value of one, a true view of oneself, expressed it then in, in, in attitude and conduct with respect to other people. So, just think about, about that, the importance of that. Don? The,
3: the idea of talking to someone else from an authoritative standpoint uh, when, we, when we're teaching the Bible. Now, it's not us that is doing the teaching. It is God and the Spirit teaching through us. And we need to recognize our responsibility to keep that pure and <clears throat> firm, but at the same time recognizing that it's God who is going to be operating on that individual and not us. And we pass the message on as friend to friend yep. and allow God to take the action that's necessary with the individual.
2: Yep.
0: Fullheartedly agree with that. So, question six says What often hinders us from living a gentle life? Self. Huh? Self, self. I am what I am. Yeah. A lot of things get in the way, but pride is... I think pride is the one sin that sometimes we just don't... we don't see it. It's very easy to put it on, though. To be boastful. We saw that you know, with the Pharisee there. He was definitely an individual full of pride. Um, And do you think he was a meek individual? In his day-to-day actions and interactions with people? I doubt it. Very much just by what was recorded the example what, what is shown there in, in his character um, uh, he says in our text that the Jesus added the meek will inherit what
3: sure.
0: Ooh. That's kind of, that seems to be kind of weird okay one would think the opposite wouldn't you because um, meek people get nowhere in in this world because um, people tend to ignore the meek or run roughshod over them or trample them underfoot. Um, The worldly view says you've got to be what? Tough. You've got to be tough. You've got to be overbearing in order to succeed in the struggle for existence. That's not how we need to be. That's not how we should be. Now, Even Israel, in the history of them as a people, had to fight for the promised land inheritance, didn't they? I mean, they had to physically fight. Um, but the condition in which we enter our spiritual inheritance in Christ is not might, but what? Meekness. That's how we win the fight, with meekness. Three blessings that we've looked at. The Kingdom of Heaven, a blessing of comfort, and a blessing of inheriting the earth.
1: Anybody got any viewpoint on those? This reminds me of what Jesus says when He said He came to the reign of life in abundance. <clears throat> And uh, echoing what Brother Roger Schaus said when he came here and talked about how we should be enjoying those blessings now, that it's in this life when we start to get, you know, to enjoy those blessings. And I think all of these um, blessings that Jesus talks about not only apply to the life to come, but also are something that we can enjoy in this life. So we are a part of the kingdom of heaven. And we will continue to be so, you know, um, after Judgment Day. We are comforted now, right, through Jesus' words, but we will also be comforted there. Um, And, you know, we inherit the earth in in the sense that we uh, enjoy all those blessings, but we will also enjoy a new earth and a new heaven, like the book of Revelation talks about.
0: Yeah, surely. I mean, that. what does blessing mean again? What did we discuss? Find favor. Huh? Finding favor. Finding favor with God. I like that one more than some say it's, you know, happy. being happy and joyful, you know. I think that's a result <laughs> of the blessing, but I do think that finding favor with God fits fits better. Similar, similar to what
1: um, Andy was saying, I think when we receive
2: God's favor now, we see that in the hope that we have and in answered prayer and the calm and quiet life that we are granted by being a Christian. And having those are the blessings that are now, I think, because we have found favor.
0: Good point. I know it's since I've retired I tend to enjoy that more peaceful <laughs> kind of
3: life. Put a verse to what Andy was saying. It's Matthew 19:29. Everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother, or children or farms for my name'sake, will receive many times as much, and will inherit eternal life. That's
0: that's it. That's another one of those first and last yeah, yeah. Uh, teachings of Jesus. And the last is a biggie. <laughs> yes. It's a biggie. So the next mm-hmm. one, a blessing is pronounced upon those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be promised what? What's the blessing. They will be satisfied. 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 I think righteousness in the Bible has came um, across this a long time ago, and I think it fits. I want to share it with you. It has three aspects: it has a legal <laughs> aspect, a moral aspect, and a social aspect. And the legal righteousness is is another word I think for that is is justification. In other words, having a right relationship with God. Um, so let me look at Romans chapter 9 mm-hmm. and read from verse 30 down through 10 uh, and to 4. Andrew, do you want to do that for us?
1: Sure. <clears throat> what shall we say then? How's that? How those verses?
0: What has a key role according to those verses? What what one thing has a key role? Starts with an F. Somebody's got a child name. Faith. Faith, you see where faith has a role in there? But look at verse 3 of chapter 10. He said, For being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own, they did not submit to God's righteousness. Who's Paul talking about there?
3: The Pharisees and Sadducees.
0: Well, more than that. It was pretty much... Verse 1 18 through the end of it. Everybody. It was everybody. Um... Yeah, it's it's people want to write their own rules for what's right and what's wrong. <laughs> do they not? Do we still have society that wants to do that and say this is right and this is wrong? Yes, we do. But here's where the true test is. This is where the truth is of what constitutes right and constitutes what's wrong. And for Christians, we need to be aware of this because only then... Can we even make proper discernment between what constitutes right and what constitutes wrong? And once we've determined that, which way should we turn? Which way should we go? In the way of the right, right? So faith has a key role there. Now moral righteousness, the second one, is that righteousness of character or conduct that pleases God. Remember that Jesus stated the need for a righteousness that would exceed what? In chapter 5, verse 20, that both Sean and I say a key verse in our study of the Sermon on the Mount, that of the Pharisees. Yes, it needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. The righteousness, your righteousness, he said, needs to exceed that of the Pharisees. How do you think that was received by this audience? Because how were the how were the Pharisees thought of in that time? They were revered. They were revered. Yeah, they
1: were the the elite. (laughs) They were elite.
0: They were the righteous people. At least that's what they thought. Jesus is saying, no, no, you got it all wrong. You need to get far exceed, you know, what they got. I like that word exceed. That means you need to go past it because the Pharisee righteousness was and ex- external conformity to rules. It was all more outward. It was not inner. It was not spiritual in nature. And, you know, when we read that Jesus made the people stand in awe with his teaching, you wonder if, I mean, this makes me stand in awe, but I, I wonder if they, they got these points. Because surely this teaching was a lot different than what they were getting through the synagogue or even from the scribes.
2: They picked up on Jesus' teaching with authority.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
2: They could see the difference. The Pharisees relayed information. They relayed information from Moses and from the culture. But Jesus spoke that the blessings, <coughs> the power, <things coughs> like that came from Him. And... It was obvious, at least some people saw it. Because this speaking with authority, it does that. Yeah, because I think the essence of what Jesus
0: is teaching is, this is the kind of people you need to be, this is the kind of character that you need to have. And if you have this kind of character, as I put on the board, this is then subsequent, this is where you're going to conduct yourself. And if you have that together, you're going to get the Kingdom of Heaven. I mean, that's, that's where it's, it's going to come. So, yeah, it's very important that, that folks saw this. And, and I wonder if folks saw this then or if they saw it after the fact. You know, I wonder if sometimes years later people hearing about Jesus and, and all I go, wow, I remember hearing Him here or there, you know, teaching these kinds of principles. Makes you, it makes you wonder. Um, so this type of righteousness to hunger and thirst for is an inner righteousness, more spiritual in nature. It has to deal with the heart. has to deal with the mind. And it has to deal with our motive. And how is it to be driven? By oh, His word? Driven by His word. I hope we see that. Now, biblical righteousness is more than a private or personal affair. It includes social righteousness as well. Um, does social righteousness have a big focus today in our society?
3: Is it politically correct?
0: <laughs> <laughs> I think it is, yeah. it is big. It is big today. More so than it has been sometime in the past it's concerned with uh, seeking man's uh, liberation from oppression um, together with the promotion of civil rights uh, justice in the courts of law its integrity in business dealings and I like to think of honor in the family honor in the home those those are all things that are kind of brewing in our society today. And of course they've brewed before, but I think they're they're brewing today too. Is there anything wrong with thinking along those lines? No, No, it's not. I mean, they're all important. You know, God has wanted from the beginning a certain kind of people, doesn't he? People that would... Live the way he wants us to live. And I remember asking a high school class Would you like to live in a world today where everyone was a Christian? Can you even? I can't fathom that. I would love to be able to fathom that, but wouldn't it be a joy to live in a world where everyone was a Christian and driven by what's contained in his word? It would be truly bliss it would be heaven on earth (laughs) and it's not going to happen yet in this life our hunger will I don't think will ever be fully satisfied nor will the thirst be uh, fully quenched Um, and we need to beware of those kinds of people who claim to have obtained that who look to past experiences rather than to look towards future development because has any of us achieved it? Look at Philippians chapter 3. And when we get there, Ryan, would you read verses 12 through 16?
2: Now that I've already obtained it, or have already become perfect, I press on so that I may lay hold of that for, so, for which also I have laid hold of it by Christ. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but the one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let us therefore, as many as are perfect, have this attitude, and if in anything you have been you have you have a different attitude, God will reveal that also to you. However, let us keep living by the same standard to which we have already which we have attained. Even Paul says did he obtain it? And of course
0: the <coughs> obtaining is back in verse eleven. Um, that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Well, none of us have attained that yet, but that's the goal, is it not? But to get to the goal, we've got to do the necessary things here, and Paul says, you know, I, I've messed up in my life, but I forget what I've done in the past, and I press on. I love that. It's one of my favorite words, I press on to the goal of the upward call of Christ. So, yes, motivation there. Um... Hunger and thirst. I don't know, I've never been truly hungry. I've never fasted for 30 days.
2: Correct me if I'm wrong, but every time I've looked at the at the Beatitudes and just this verse, hunger and thirsting are action words, are they not? Mm-hmm. So when I think of that, if I'm always hungry, I'm always looking for something to eat, or if I'm thirsty, I'm always looking for something to drink. So, why would it be any different after righteousness? Yeah.
0: That's it in a nutshell. I mean, that's really what it is. When you're thirsty or hungry, you you strive to satisfy that. And you're trying to find uh, righteousness. And once again, you can't develop that. You can you can develop your own righteousness, but it's not going to be right, truly right. There's no standard right. There, yeah, there's no standard. If the world followed this standard, as we said, if everybody was a Christian and followed this standard, it would, it would truly be a, a great place to, to 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 live on this earth. I don't, I don't know how much time we got left, but let me read a couple more verses here, back in Revelation chapter seven, verses sixteen and seventeen. And this is where the great multitude of every nation will be before God in heaven. And he says, starting in verse 15, we'll just go back there. Therefore, they are before the throne of God, serve Him day and night in His temple, and He who sits on the throne will shelter them with His presence. Notice these verses. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike them, nor any scorching heat, For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd and He will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. That's pretty good. That's pretty good. So we need to hunger and thirst now and at some point that hunger and thirst will be satisfied. That's
2: what Jesus was telling the woman at the well, the Samaritan woman. Exactly. And another
0: example where Jesus took that character and, and once again taught it yep. in, in, a
1: different, in a different way. Um, you know that a lot of the Jews followed Jesus because they were actually satisfied with the physical food that he would provide to them when he multiplied the fish and the bread. And that's why they would follow him. Um, but they weren't really hungering and thirsty for what He was offering truly, which was salvation, which was His Word, which is the righteousness, right? Um, So we see the idea of Jesus wanting us to hunger and thirst for righteousness even more so than we hunger and thirst for physical food and water. And we see a great example when Jesus was tempted and Satan said turn you know these rocks into bread. Well obviously Jesus had been fasting for 40 days. That's a long time without eating. He was truly hungry but his hunger for righteousness, which was much greater. Um, And I think that's a great example.
2: That's
3: true. Don? We're told to ask and to seek and to knock. And that's a keep on action. And so is the hungering and thirsting. It is a continuous, a continual thing. keep, Keep that hunger and thirst active. And the Word of God is living, and it continuously pours out of the mouth of God
0: and satisfies the immediate need and the long-term need as well. Bear with me just a few more more seconds. Looking back, I hope you can see that these first four Beatitudes reveal spiritual progression. And they are logical in their sequence. Uh, Each step leads to the next one and presupposes the Beatitude that precedes it. Uh, poor in the spirit acknowledges our complete and utter spiritual break, bankruptcy before God and so we mourn over the cause for that bankruptcy which is our sins the corruption of our uh, fallen nature we are to be meek humble and gentle towards others allowing the spiritual poverty that they have because they too are in a state of poverty to condition our behavior to them as well as to God and then we are to hunger and thirst for righteousness confession of sin must lead to hungering and thirsting for righteousness as Don emphasized That should always be present it needs to be there now the last four Beatitudes and you can tell Sean I did get where he wanted me to get but he can pick up the last four Beatitudes they seem to turn uh, from our attitude towards God And now change and shift gears to an attitude that we should have with fellow human beings, fellow man. So see that hopefully.